everybody, this is Steve Conti, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Hey, DJ. So I, I reconnected recently with someone that I knew long ago, and I realized I had a video of us. So I'm trying to figure out where it is and how to find it, and I find it, and it's on a VHS tape. Do you even know what a VHS tape is, DJ? I do. You do. Okay. Did you have a VCR when you were a kid? Yeah, top loader. Okay, top loader. Oh, God. <laughs> well... I have a bunch of my memories on VHS tapes, and I've got to transfer that shit over to a DVD because I can't watch. I don't have a VCR. I mean, I actually do have a VCR in my <laughs> closet, but it's not hooked up, and I don't plan on hooking it up. And Lord knows what, what those I, – I wouldn't even know how to use it anymore. I wouldn't trust it. And, eat right. up your tape. Yeah, definitely. It would probably eat it up. So anyway, everybody out there – Dust off your old VHS and camcorder cassette tapes and get them transferred to DVD by MP84 Video and Photo Archiving, because I know I'm going to do it. So if you have an adult child that tells you that they had a crappy childhood, you can whip out the DVD and prove them wrong. Much cheaper than therapy. Call MP84 at 310-753-753. 5799. They'll do free pickup and delivery anywhere in LA, and I'm sure you can work out shipping from anywhere else. They also do photo slideshows for any occasion, with or without music, for rock bottom prices. Call 310 753 5799. You'll be glad you did. And tell them Vicky sent you, and you'll get a free hour in the first 10 hours transferred. MP84, transfer that stuff. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, DJ. Hey, Wheezy. Hey. How's it going? You know, <laughs> it's interesting times for me. It's interesting times for me. Um, as you guys know, I have a book out, um, Don't Jump, and... Um, it's been out for, um, it j- I just celebrated like a year anniversary the book was out. And, you know, it's, it's been great. It, it was an Amazon bestseller. It was number one uh, Amazon pick for a summer read. Great, great. It's got critical acclaim. You know, it's got a, a ton of five-star reviews. It, it did have one one-star review and one three-star review, and that was from, I'm not going to say who, who was personally, people who didn't read the book. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. The reviews literally went up one hour after my book became available for sale, so they didn't read the book. Anyway, it was <laughs> crazy shit. But what happened now, rec- just happened, is um, I, I've been, um, I'm very vocal on the Facebook, 
as you guys know. But what? for those of you out, for those no of you way. out in Cyberland who don't I know that about me, I am kind of vocal on the Facebook, and um, and so for the last um, nine months, year, I've been very vocal for Hillary Clinton. I'm with her, and I did not mention his name. I did not put his pictures up on my wall ever. I did not refer to him. I was just pro-Hillary. There was no anti-anything. Mm-hmm. Well, things shifted a bit after the election and the situation changed. Mm-hmm. And I still stayed pretty much in the Hillary camp. But I made it really clear that my page is a vicocracy, which means no Hillary bashing, no Obama bashing, no Trump supporting. <laughs> that if that stuff happens on my wall, you're welcome to do it wherever y- on your wall. You can say whatever you want to say anywhere. But, but this is the kingdom of Vicky. This is the Vicocracy. Right. Not here. Mm-hmm. Not here, not now, not ever. So I said that. I put a post about it on thread. So I put up a thread a few days ago um, about the Clintons getting behind the recount. And depending upon when this show airs will depend upon if this is relevant in the moment. But I have a feeling the issue is going to remain relevant. I'm confident that it will, sadly. But anyway, so I put up this thing about the Clintons. I didn't mention him. And of course, uh, people start getting on there and talking about Hillary the crook and ba 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 ba, you know, and, and they start. So one guy gets on and he says, um, I hope Trump prosecutes you, and <laughs> I'm a liberal. Okay? Yeah, because he's not all that busy. Now, <laughs> All I'm doing is, you know, being behind, but Trump should prosecute me. So I say bye-bye, and I block the guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, two days later, I go into my Amazon to check sales and see what's going on, and I see I have a one-star review, and it's from him. (laughs) And it's an unverified purchase, and and the personal venom and this shit he made up about my book, which he couldn't possibly know clearly all he did was read what other people said about my book listen to like the oh he said something like i don't know if it was well then another guy did it another guy i blocked his buddy now so wait so i go back on facebook and i post that this has happened and now another guy that i i block Hmm. goes in and gives me a one-star review and slams my book also an unverified purchase and my favorite part about that one is he says the first 30 pages are are a self Love, self-serving, lo- a love letter to herself, self-serving narcissism. Meanwhile, the beginning of my book is about 9-11 and the impact mm. it has on a family. And I'm like, obviously, this guy did not read. He thinks he read the beginning of my book. He must have gone to like the Kindle sample and uh-huh. like just started like s- scanning or something. Or he listened to the little audio clip that is the intro where I'm snarky. I think we're giving him too much attention okay, already. Okay, so, any, uh, so, so all of that aside, so I go on my Facebook and I'm talking about this and all, you know, all of a sudden people start to mobilize and people are saying, did you hear what happened to Megyn Kelly? Because Megyn Kelly, Fox News uh, newscaster, um, has a book that's out and it's a bestseller. It just came out, bestseller, and the Trumpsters went on there and oh they sure. all gave oh her sure. one star. I'm sure. Mm. And they're tr- and but you know what they did? They boosted her book sales like crazy. Well, you should the, you should feel honored. Really. And not only do I feel they sold books for me, so I sold mm-hmm. like a bunch of books. My my numbers like went went crazy. The last couple of days, I'm selling you books. You and Hamilton <laughs> are doing great. Wh- me and Hamilton and Megyn <laughs> Kelly are doing great. <laughs> and and so I guess what you know what my question to you is. 
how do we feel about this new this new order we're living in where this absolute crazy behavior because this is one little tiny piece of the insanity that is going on all around the country now people's bad behavior and thinking it's okay it's now okay to be racist it's now okay to be homophobic it's now it's like permission did you see the news today this won't be today's news by the time this airs but Donald's now going to appoint Sarah Palin to the cabinet. You know that that's his new his new thing. I mean, well, we're I living in a, in a different. It's really just th there's a new line of scrimmage mm -hmm. because there has always been sort of vengeance and internet trolling against certain books if you don't agree with someone mm -hmm. elsewhere. I I I'm a big Hillary supporter and I am appalled at what Donald Trump represents, but. When it comes to being online and mm -hmm. being the victim of that kind of vengeance, mm -hmm. that's that's been going on. And authors have been facing that for various ways that they came down on various issues or, you know, what have you. I've seen that. Well, uh, but uh, it's now it's it's reached a really ugly point. And so then it comes down to censorship, you know, comes down to a big question of censorship in the arts, because there were people who were getting on my thread and telling me to just shut up. Well, if you're going to be an artist and you're going to put a book out there and you're going to put a radio show out there, you better stop telling your opinion. And you know what? I'm not going to do that because that's who I am, because if I, I my art is based in my my authentic self. Well, as I think especially now, since I, I feel like decency is fighting for its life. I don't think that anyone of us can be quiet if Howard Schultz from Starbucks is willing to take a stand. Absolutely. And, and possibly offend almost half of <laughs> his potential customers. Starbucks uh, Absolutely. You know, customers. Then we, we all have to follow that example. A and I think activism and taking that stand, in, in I, I'm feeling it in everything. I mean, I, I got screwed in a business deal. And because my, my ire is up with this whole politics thing, I'm standing up for myself in the business world. I'm standing up for myself personally mm -hmm. because I have not been an activist since the 70s and I have kind of just laid low and now my fire is lit. And now <laughs> I'm Silver like... Silver lining, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe, you know, I'm mm. mad as hell and I'm not going to take it. And people are going to get their karma and they're going to get their due. And that kind of brings me to tonight's guest. Okay. Um, I'm really... I've had a lot of people on the show, most of the people on the show, in fact, everybody except for Carol Bear Sager, I, I, I've known personally. This particular guest, Steve Conti, I've, no, I've, I've known and done business with Steve since the mid-'80s. And uh, Steve is currently uh, with Michael Monroe um, of Hanoi Rocks, and, and they open for Guns N' Roses, and they, they open for um, Metallica, uh, I um, Metallica, I want to say. I don't even know if that's correct. I, I might be saying something that's completely wrong. I'm trying to, to check my, uh, my stuff here. Um, but they, um, they've been on the road for, he's been with, with uh, Michael Monroe for at least uh, six years, but before that he was in the New York Dolls, and um, Steve has played with everybody. His first tour was with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He played with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He wow. was the um, he was the vocal stand-in for Paul Simon on the tour. And then he got to stand it. Paul loved his voice so much that he would have Steve sing. And then on the Simon and Garfunkel tour, he was the st the vocal stand-in for Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel, and stood in for and got to sing with both of them. But what excites me most. Weezy and DJ is that Steve is walking into his own light now. He's got this new CD, international cover up, covers of, of songs 
which I'm telling you, it's mind-blowing. It is, it is my favorite rock and roll album right now. I am listening to it ad nauseum. And, Ste- and now when they play him on the radio, it's not the New York Dolls. It's not Michael Monroe. They're saying Steve Conti. And seeing him get that attention at this stage of his life after all these years of being a hardcore rock and roller and backing up the best is so thrilling to me. And I'm so excited to welcome him tonight. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Hey, Vicki, how are you? I'm good. Good and to I'm, hear your voice. It's really good to hear you, too. And I'm, and I'm so happy uh, that you're doing this. We've been trying to get this together for a few months since I started doing the show. And Me too. Right? And, and for those of you out there in uh, Cyberland, um, I've known Steve. Can I say how many years we've known each other? It's kind of scary. Oh well, my God! It was uh, it was the late '80s, I believe. I used to play your club. It was it was mid '80s. I've known you since 1986 ish. Yeah, and um, and yeah, Steve. Uh, at in those days, uh, what what were you guys called back then? Uh, let's see. My brother John and I, we had um, we had like the cover band. Yeah, what was that? From hell, we used to just play like three-hour sets at the Rock and Roll Cafe. Oh my God! Um, Non-stop. You remember? We we'd start one song, and like an hour later, we'd still be going. (laughs) We'd go through like fifteen different songs without stopping. Um, We were called the Rookies back then. The Rookies. That's okay. Excellent. And so back then, when I first met Steve um, and his brother John. Conti and I called you guys the 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 brothers of Conti, as I recall. Um, right. And and at the time, you had already started to do some really cool stuff, which we're going to get into in a minute. Before we get into past history and like work our way to the present, I want to talk about the present for a minute because I want the people out there in Radio Land, in Cyberland, to understand who I'm talking to. And I have to say this, and I am not blowing smoke. You and Tony Bruno have my two favorite rock and roll voices in the history of rock and roll. And that is no <laughs> bullshit. I've, I've said it since then. I, Tony doesn't sing anymore, but you still sing your ass off. And case in, oh, case in point, um, I did not know anything. I think maybe I'd gotten a, a, an email from you about um, your new... Um, your new out, uh, your new CD, but I'm not even sure that I had gotten that yet. When I was listening to Little Steven's Underground Garage one day, innocently listening to it, and um, and I only have uh, Sirius because I got I got a new car because I was in a car accident and it came with Sirius, and so and of course now I had to up the ante because now I hear my friends on Little Steven's Underground Garage, and so Handsome Dick says, "Oh, I'm gonna play a song from an old friend of mine, and it's it's this week's coolest song of the week." And I'm and I hear somebody's going to get their head kicked in tonight, and I'm saying, I know that voice, and I don't think he mentioned your name before he played it, <laughs> and he and when he came back on, he said, Oh, my friend Steve Conti's going to kill me because I didn't mention the name, the, I didn't mention his name, and we've been friends for years, and I'm like, Oh my God, and I knew it was you before <laughs> he even told me because you have the most distinctive voice, right? And now your song, not only was it the coolest song of the week on Little Steven's Underground Garage, but now it's up for coolest song of the year, and what's <laughs> killing me. Is it's up? I am going to give you time to talk. This isn't, I swear. But <laughs> I'm just trying to introduce you. But so it's up against Ian Hunter's tribute to, to David Bowie, which is unbelievable. It's up against this incredible mm-hmm. new monkey song. It's up. But I'm sorry, I cast my vote for you. I did, and I'm friends with the uh. monkeys, and I love them. But this song is killer. So 
Right now, we're going to cut. Well, listen, you, you know, Vicky, you know, you can vote once a day, every day. Ah. So you can vote for a different person every, every day if you want to. Well, but, okay. But really, vote for me, you know, between now and Christmas Eve. But vote for me for the next 22 days, and then you can vote for somebody else. Okay, sure. cool. Well, I'm gonna tr- we're going to try and get this show up before, before the new year. I'm not, we're, we're, in the, we're in a kind of transition right now, and we're going to be launching like a whole big network thing. So I'm not sure that this is going to get up before the, the, the contest is over, but I'll be up on the Facebook, and I'll be promoting this big time. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, right, well, I'm getting it out there. Well, it, you know, whether I win or not, it's, uh, it's just an honor to be included with all those great names. And I was included um, two years ago. My song, OK DJ, from my album, Steve Conti NYC, was uh, awarded the number two song of the year ah! on, uh, the, of the coolest songs in the world. And you know who beat me? Who? Some guy named... Springsteen. <laughs> well, I guess I guess when you lose to somebody by the name of Springsteen, you got to be okay with that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, especially if it's Little Steven Station, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> that's a really good point. Okay, so before we before we continue the having the conversation, which we have so much to talk about, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to DJ, and he's gonna play. Somebody's gonna get their head kicked in tonight. Awesome. Ow! Come on. Come on. There's gonna be a pool of blood on 
everybody out there's heard it. I, I defy anybody to tell me that their head wasn't shaking, their booty wasn't shaking, and that they, they don't agree that that was one of the greatest rock. And, you know, I went back and I listened to a bunch of other versions of it. Who did the original version of that, Steve? The original version of that was done by, it was the original Fleetwood Mac band, like back in yes. late 60s, maybe 67. And they were, it was under the name Earl Vincent the Valiants. It was like a B-side. It was a weird, like, one-off thing where they were calling themselves a different name for some reason. And um, so... I, I did listen to that The first I ever version. heard was the Rosillos, which is like a Scottish punk band. Yes. And then the, I've heard a few other versions since then. But I think my version actually kicks the most ass of any version I've it's heard. It's so... D- I listened to all of those versions after I heard yours, I wasn't sure which one was the first one. I listened to the Fleetwood Mac one, and I'm sorry, but it's like a really sad song. I mean, I love Fleetwood Mac, but that particular song was kind of slow. And, and then I listened to the punk yeah. version, which the punk version was fun, but your version is, it's like it's like the three bears. It's like that one is a little too soft, and that one's a little too hard, and this one is just mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it's it's just perfection. Um, okay, so, so, so let's go back now. So, so the, the, the little... The little bit I just, I, I, I was telling people up at the top before you joined us that, you know, we have this shared history, and, and I mentioned a little bit about the stuff that you've done in your past. Let's start at the beginning. So you're, so you're little Steve Conti in New Jersey. and Going all the way back. No, I was little Steve Conti in upstate New York. Oh, you I started grew up at, in, uh, oh. in the Mohawk Valley up near uh, Utica and um, Buffalo. I went oh. to kindergarten in Buffalo, through kindergarten through fourth grade in Buffalo. I moved to New Jersey when I was uh, about nine years old. So. Okay, but I'm thinking that's when the music, or no, when did the music start? I know your mom's a singer, yeah, so well, when did the music start? Well, yeah, I mean, I started taking drum lessons first. I was a drummer when I was seven. Oh. Okay. Um, well, through, you know, I was drums and guitar at the same time, but, um, but you know, I was first to taking drum lessons, you know, when I was seven years old, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, music had started, you know, upstate, but I think it really flourished when I got to New Jersey because, you know, we were so close to New York City, and I used to go into Manhattan. Uh, we were only 50 minutes from Manhattan on the train. We used to go to concerts, you know, every weekend. I would go to the, well, my first show I saw was Madison Square Garden was uh, Chuck Berry. My father took me when I was 13. Uh, wow. Was the revival, you know, it was like the, the Shirelles and, you know, all those kind of bands and and Chuck was there. I was like, Dad, you got to take me. So, uh, and how crazy and that then, you, you ended know, up let, playing with him a yeah, bunch and then of years later. Later on, there'd be so many great shows, you know, with the Palladium, amazing shows there. Okay, so that's you going to shows. When did you start doing them? And Okay, so your mom was a singer. Is that how your interests start? Did she give you your first guitar? How did that start? Yeah, well, you know, my brother John was the guitar player originally, and I was the drummer. Okay. And then... One day I started fooling around on his guitar and I realized, hey, I can write songs. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I can't get stuck behind a drum kit. I should be up front. So I started taking guitar lessons. And in about a month, I became better than my brother who had been taking lessons for two years. <laughs> so he said, back with this. And he uh, switched to bass and the rest is history. And so, he's um, one of the greatest bassists And ever. that was, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, um, you know, kind of where it started. My mother you know, bought us uh, really cheap guitars, you know, plastic, whatever. I mean, they were wood, but they were like, right. you could probably, uh, you know, um, touch them and they'd fall apart <laughs> <laughs> nowadays. But, 
you know, we went through the whole, you know, Sears guitar from a catalog and you know, all that until we were good enough to get, you know, a really good brand. But, uh, you know, we made our first album in the family living room when I was 11. My brother was 10. You know, we just kind of figured out how to get around a cassette recorder, you know, put the drums way at the back of the room. The guy who was singing would, like, sing up with his you know, mouth near the microphone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we kind of did it, like, almost old school, like the it would record the Beach Boys, you know, of yeah. course, a very modest version, you know, where everybody would get around the mic in the in the way that they needed to be heard right. know, in, the, in the recording. And so we kind of, we didn't even know what we were doing, of course. And I was just writing songs for the first time. But actually, I listened to that tape recently, and there's some really nice little melodies on there. <laughs> I bet there so, are. So, you know, I was, yeah, I was bitten by the writing bug at a very early age. And, you know, being in, into the Beatles, just, you know, helping my sense of melody. It just, it just came right out of it, you know. And and how about the the vocals? Did you ever take singing lessons? Was that something that just came naturally? How did that happen? I never took singing lessons. Um, I mean, my mom, you know, is a singer, and I heard my mom singing all those years, and she sang to me probably, I mean, she said she did while I was in the womb. Of course, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, it's just natural. I mean, one day I heard a recording of, uh, you know, like when your cassette player used to get low on battery, then the, the, your tape would play faster. Yes. Um, and hearing, hearing like my voice sped up uh-huh. singing. And I was like, oh, that's my mom. I was wow. like, oh, no, wait a minute. That's me. You know, I had like the same phrasing wow. and the same kind of like quality to my voice. You know, it's just genetic. Very cool. Uh, and okay. she's, a jazz singer. she's a jazz singer, like Billie Holiday style, so. Is she still singing? I had that. Oh, yeah, she still sings, but um, yeah, she sort of slowed down from like public performing because mm-hmm. she's uh, she's not getting around so good these days. But oh, uh, she still teaches and you know does jazz gigs every once in a while. And you know, I heard a lot of jazz and blues and stuff like that growing up, so that was always in there. And, and then you know, I kind of came to rock and roll on my own. Okay, so so you and so you and your brother have sort of like two parts of a band happening there. So how how did you form your first band, and and what happened with that? Uh, with that band, it was the two of us and another kid from the neighborhood, Rick Cohen, who had um, keyboards and he had a bunch of equipment. You know, so that's usually the way it is. You know, there's there's one kid who's got like the equipment, and you know, we had the we had the songs and the songwriting and he had the organ and he had the amplifiers. And so it was like, okay, you're in the band kid. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he's a really talented guy though. But, um, uh, so but we, I think we only played like maybe one or two. I mean, we did like folk festivals when we were 10 years old, you know, so we didn't play any gigs yet. But then when we were about 13, we had like, you know, your typical band that plays your teen dance parties at school and the, the local swim club and all that. And, you know, we were covering Stones and Beatles and Jay Giles and, you know, all that good 70s stuff. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I think we, we, we were just talking about the other day, we, I think we got paid 25 bucks for our first gig at the Strathmore Swim Club in uh, Madawan, New Jersey. Nice. And, um, you know, it went from there. Okay, so what was your first like step up from that? Like, wh- what was the next? What was the next thing that got you to the next level? What What was the next level for you? 
Well, I would probably include, you know, playing from 13 until, whatever, 19, you know, at little venues in New Jersey, whether it was, you know, those kind of things, Battle of the Bands and, Mm -hmm. you know, high schools and whatnot. You know, you do that until um, you run out of, you know, until you're too old, really. Okay. To do those things, and when I, by the time I was like 19, I was like, ah, I shouldn't be playing, uh, you know, high school battle of the bands anymore. And uh, and that's when you know I started hanging out in New York. Well, I started going to school actually, and studying guitar and taking lessons. Uh, I kind of got a late start getting into the city mm-hmm. uh, because you know a lot of people probably graduated high school and went straight to the city, but I had the opportunity to go to college for free pretty much and um yeah definitely how's that totally for free um i, I just applied you know local uh i was looking at like you know these fancy music schools i was like oh man they're too much money and they're like out of state and um you know rutgers was a state school and um you know i applied applied for financial aid and they said hey not only do you qualify but you know we'll even give you some money so i was like nice oh, okay yeah so you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to college because I was like a rich kid or anything. You know, it was like I got the total free scholarship to go, you know, five years of school. Nice. So, um, and I studied with uh, some great jazz musicians, like New York City pros. Mm-hmm. These guys are, you know, a few of them have died since, but um, you know, so I got a real education there. But you know, rock and roll was always in me, and. Uh, I think I skipped ahead probably a, a number of years there, but you know it was like in between the uh, the swim club and the, the teen center gigs, mm-hmm. and then you know playing in Manhattan was like a huge leap. I think the next level was like playing clubs, uh-huh. and play, you know, I was playing started playing clubs in New Jersey, and um, and in New York like the Dirt Club. Do you remember in Bloomfield? Yeah, I remember the Dirt Club. Sure. But, yeah, the Dirt Club and. We'd play, uh, when I was going to Rutgers, we'd play the Rutgers pubs there. And mm-hmm. a place called the Court Tavern, the Melody, uh, big places in New Brunswick. And, um, yeah, and then we started playing, you know, the city, the Bitter End, and 240 West, which was uh, the Lone Star uh, Roadhouse, would mm-hmm. become later. And, um, you know, places like that, that, like that was kind of the next step up. But, you know, still, you were, you're out there and you're, Ten bands a night on, you know, right. and everyone's just hopeful, hoping to get, you know, seen or heard by somebody and taken to a further level. So, but, so, uh, so, okay. So, the dream back then. So, you're you're doing all. You're, I, I assume you're doing mostly covers, except when you're doing something like no, the Bitter no. End, where you can do originals, right? Oh, you could do originals in the other yeah, bands too, in the other clubs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, by the time I started playing, I was playing all originals. I wasn't playing. Uh-huh. I wasn't playing covers. I mean, I, I would do private parties on the side, you know, and stuff like that. Gigs with my mom. Right. Jazz gigs. Uh-huh. And, and that was like money-making gigs. But when it came time to go out and play, it was like we were like the Steve Cosby band, you know. Right, um, right. Then it was, it was all my songs. And, uh, you know, I got a four-track, you know, when I was in like my second year in college. And, you know, sort of rec- really, like, uh, really learn how to arrange and, and produce and stuff, and then, you know, getting out there, and, and, and we do some covers, you know, 
but you know, well, I know for me, you only own, you did mostly covers song. at the Rock and Roll Cafe. That's because the Artie and Jay were crazy, and they wouldn't let original. But so you, you snuck a few originals in there, which were always my favorite songs of the night. But um, I, probably, I probably don't even remember what songs I was playing originals back then. But you know, that was when I played at your club there. That was more of a, you know, it was the tourist strip there, and it yeah. was. Now we had fun doing it. We were never slave to the original records. We were always doing our right. own thing with the songs and, mm-hmm. you know, make medleys and go nuts. And really. Well, and also it was like a whole cool scene down there on Bleecker Street in those days. And, and then that segued because when I moved to the, the other clubs, to, to Woody's and Spody's and Tribune and all those places, you rock guys girl. You, you rock yeah. girl, you guys came with me, and which was great. In fact, you, were my, you and Bobby Held were my jam band for like bunch of years when all those crazy the Greg Allman and Ace Freely and all those guys would come down and play and and uh, but right. at, at that point you already had Company Wolf so all right so so your dream right, I'm sorry, guessing they... is to to have your own deal for your own music and then you get it so to, to tell us how that happened and, and what that was about all right so you know I started playing the clubs in, in New Jersey New York with my own music mm-hmm. and I was still living I was like living in North Jersey right outside of the city mm-hmm. like near Jersey City so I, you know, had to take, you know, these buses in, and it was really a pain in the ass. I was like, man, I just have to live in, I have to live in Manhattan. And um, I started dating a girl in Manhattan. I would stay with her sometimes, and you know, I started meeting people and going to jam sessions. I would go to the jam session at Kenny's Castaways every Monday night, mm-hmm. um, hoping to meet, you know, band members and get something together. But now, looking back, nothing ever came from those years, <laughs> what happened was I had a, uh, the thing that sort of sparked it all was I had a blues band, my brother and I, called the Hudson River Rats, mm-hmm. with the great harmonica player Rob Paparozzi, mm-hmm. and um, we started playing every Wednesday night at the Acme uh, Bar and Grill. Which I was there many, was t- many Acme. times, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and we would do it every Wednesday night for like two years. Mm-hmm. Like a friend of ours named Jeff Kent put this uh, show together. Mm-hmm. It was blues night. We'd come on Hudson River Rats. We'd do our set. We had the uptown horns with us. Mm-hmm. John Paris was playing slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, just a great band. And then we'd start bringing guests up. And Phoebe Snow would come and join us all the time. Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. Willie Deville, David Johansson when he was Buster, mm-hmm. Julian Lennon, Carol King. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like a star-studded thing. And all these studio musicians would come down and. Uh, Will Lee, you know, was like Lou Marie, the Blues Brothers guys. Mm-hmm. That's how we, brother John and I, sort of met all these studio people and actually started working in, in the studios in New York. But uh, one of the people that came down was a singer named Keith Brewer, and um, he and I met. And you know, my friend Jeff Kent, who recently passed away, mm-hmm. rest in peace, uh, said, uh, "Steve, you and Keith would really get along well. You guys should." Uh, you know, try and write something. He's a great songwriter. So um, we got together and we wrote the song The Distance, which was Company Wolf's second single. We wrote that the first time we got together. Wow. And then we got together a few more times. And we we probably had about 10 songs within a couple of months. And we were like, hey, we should start a band. Mm-hmm. I said, I know a bass player, my brother. Mm-hmm. He said, I know a drummer, Frankie LaRocca. And the uh, next thing you know, we had a band. This was like 1988, mm-hmm. and I think we had played not many gigs, maybe 10 or 20 gigs. 
somewhere between there. Like we played in Philly with Southside Johnny. We play in Baltimore. We play in um, in Jersey. And you guys Manhattan. did. You guys did my rock girl opening night. As a matter of fact, uh, company, company walls. Yes, you did. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Where was that? Was that at Bedrock? Yeah. No, what, uh-huh. what was the name of the? Yeah, it was Bedrock. We yeah. did. Yes, I don't, you did. I don't remember playing there. Yeah, you did. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. You have a better memory than I. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we we did a handful, and then we, we got a we got the manager from Cinderella, mm-hmm. you know, the band from Philly that Bon Jovi discovered and all that. Um, their manager became interested in us. Said, "Oh, I can get you guys a deal." And, you know, he shot us to all these labels, and there was an old-fashioned kind of bidding war they used to do back in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, where some labels said, oh, I'll give them, you know, 100000 Oh, yeah, well, I'll give them 150000 Oh, yeah, well, I'll give them 200000 Wow. Nice. You know, we just, like, and the, the lawyer just, and the managers, like, got the biggest deal, and uh, and that was him. That was Polygram. Mm-hmm. And we also, I guess they also thought, you know, Cinderella and Bon Jovi and Scorpions and all these other Similar kind of, well, we weren't similar, but, you know, guitar, rock and roll bands. Uh, you know, we were more like sort of Georgia Satellites meets, you know, Credence and early Aerosmith, ACDC. We weren't like a hair right. metal band at all. Uh, we were very rootsy compared to those kind of bands. But uh, so, you know, we got on the label because of them, uh, because of the, it felt like the right environment for us. Right. You know. Um, and, you know, of course, kind of the New York thing that happens to so many bands, like, you know, your favorite Tony Bruno's band, Soraya, mm-hmm. and we were on the same label, mm-hmm. and, you know, we had all had the same heartaches, you know, we had, you know, no, by the time our records came out, there was no president, the A&R guy left, and, you know, and then the new A&R guy goes, who are these bands? Let's get rid of them, you know, oh. so it happens to so many bands. Mm-hmm. in New York at, at that time. So uh, we just kind of ran into the same uh, the same sort of shtick. So, you know? so what did you guys, so what and did you then, do with, what did you do with that, like, because that, ha- I, I knew you guys then, you know, that's like a heartache, you know, you're, you're, you're there, you sure. get the deal, you, 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 and then, psh, and I mean, I've had things explode in my face more times than I can count. So, so how, how did you recoup from that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because you think, this is the moment I've been waiting for my whole life. Right. You know? I'm signed. You know, I mean, nowadays it doesn't mean as much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know that they're, they're even signing any bands, or at least any rock and roll bands. But, you know, back then, it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you felt like you were somehow legitimized. You know, you're not just like out there making your own records, you know, putting right. them out yourself, mm-hmm. which everyone does now. I mean, it was unheard of right. back in, like, I mean, it, there was probably a scene for, like, underground garage bands and, like, real indie kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. we were, like, you know, our stuff belonged on the radio. We had big choruses and, you know, nice melodies. And, mm-hmm. you know, we fancied ourselves, you know, in there with, you know, the Tom Petty's of the world, you know. Right. And, um so, you know, we thought, oh, that's it, we've arrived. You know, we did two videos that uh, were ready for MTV, the first video on MTV, and and then some genius at the label thought, wait, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pull this first video from MTV. We're going to take that off and save our our power for the second single, which is going to be the crossover single. 
it was going to go to like contemporary hit radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, wouldn't you know it, when they got that second video to MTV, they went, nah, we don't like it. Oh. <laughs> and then they were like, well, can you take the first video back? <laughs> no, too late. Oh. You know, so it was one of those genius moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm, I wonder if the guy's listening right now. I don't <laughs> remember his name, but I won't mention his name. But... Um, He's a friend of mine on Facebook, by the way. <laughs> of course, everybody's a friend on Facebook. I mean, all, all, all the record company people that I remember are doing other things these days, you know, and I, I see them on Facebook, and one's like, you know, a consultant, and the other guy's yeah. like a doctor. And, well, there are, know, because they, we don't, the, the record labels don't exist the way they used to, because everybody can just put their music out. It's a it's a yeah, whole different yeah. it's a whole different deal. Okay, so all right, but, so let's so. But, but back then you couldn't. You, back then you couldn't do that. So, right. You know, it legitimized us in some way to have that, and then you know, you, you sort of, you know, we didn't go out and like buy mansions or anything. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we thought we were kind of set for a while, at least for a couple of years, mm-hmm. that, that we would do this cycle of like, you know, making record touring, making record touring, which right. is, you know what every band did and still does. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got cut short after the second record that never came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first record came out and did pretty well, mm-hmm. considering we had, you know, no head of the label. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time the second record came out, we had a new A&R guy, and he just didn't understand what we were doing. That was it. And then we decided to uh, kind of go our separate ways. Are we gonna? Oh, yeah. Well, what really happened was Seattle happened. Uh-huh. So we were like this, you know, New York rock and roll band, mm-hmm. you know, good time, sort of, you know, ACDC, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, Creedence, Aerosmith, you know, just rock and roll, fun, party music. And then Seattle came out and everybody, you know, wanted to be depressed and <laughs> do heroin and, and wear long shorts and have beards and flannels. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to know anything about a New York rock and roll band. Yeah. And when it started flocking to Seattle, mm-hmm. even New York bands started wearing long shorts and flannels. <laughs> and I was like, come on. Well, I said, well, I'm not doing that, you know. I mean, I really like I like Nirvana and I like Soundgarden. But, uh-huh. you know, I wasn't about to start, you know, braiding my beard, uh, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, so, uh, so we... The company was broke up, and I said, that's it. I don't want to do my own thing anyway. Me and John and Keith, the singer, went and did his own thing. And, and so then we started being the Crown Jewels, and we ended up you know, doing a bunch of indie records. We got close to being re-signed again. We thought it would be so easy, but you know, the business just changes so fast. Right. And uh, you know, we kind of never got back in that, that game, which is fine because I ended up playing with Willie DeVille and then Billy Squire and then Okay, so how, 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 how did you, yeah, then, I want to talk about that. How did you, all right, when, wasn't Blood, Sweat and Tears like when I knew you? Wasn't that before Company of Wolves? Oh yeah, that was, that was early. That was, that was like before I moved, moved to New York. So yeah. how, how did, how did that happen for you? Um, well, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, as you know, was the original like jazz rock, mm-hmm. you know, um, horn band from the '60s, and uh, my, a bunch of my brother's friends. Gillis, were what, in the band. Uh, what was they, yeah, uh, What's yeah, his name? Tom uh, Defari, I was the drummer yeah, who was with right. us in the Rookies. Right, right. He, um, you know, they uh, 
they would go to music schools and just like find the the best guys, you know, come out of school and oh. go, hey, you want a gig? You uh-huh. know, pay fifty cents a night or whatever, you know. <laughs> and um, so, uh, you know, they got young guys who were really good players uh-huh. for cheap to go out on the road, and um, I, I ended up filling in for my brother was already in the band and. He said, hey, man, he called me up one day. He said, hey, the, you know, the guitar player's sick. You know, can you learn the show in a, in, in a day and be down here in Florida tomorrow? I was like, I'm going to, okay. So <laughs> uh, they, like, sent me uh, cassette tapes, and, you know, I, like, wrote my charts, you know, on the, on the plane on the way down, and no rehearsal, first gig, boom. Wow. You know, it was wow. pretty complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. And I did well, so they gave me the gig. And, you know, that lasted for, I don't know, a year and a half or something. And that, and didn't, then, um, that didn't parlay to other, because then you, but then you started no, your own, because then you started your own thing. Okay, so now Company Wolves is done, Crown Jewels is done. Now you start, what, because now you start playing with, like, all these, like, monsters. I, I remember you were playing with Chuck Berry at one point, too, I remember, right? Yeah, that's when we had the blues band. That was the, um, the same band that we did the uh, Under Acme thing. Uh-huh. Um, the Hudson Riverettes. Um, yeah, we had done a bunch of great, like, blues gigs. We played with Anna James. We backed mm-hmm. her up. We mm-hmm. backed up uh, James Cotton mm-hmm. on, um, like, in the studio on some commercials, actually. And, um, yeah, it was a great little run that we had there, and including playing one night at the Meadowlands with Chuck mm-hmm. the whole night when we were his band. And, uh, and there's, I have amazing stories from that. I don't know. Yeah, you have to tell. Yeah, you need to tell like one amazing story because I remember like one amazing story. But but you you need to tell us one story. Give us a story. Well, the best thing was Chuck said, uh, you know, um, the way Chuck works is a promoter hires a Chuck. Mm-hmm. And he pays in cash, and Chuck just shows up with his guitar, mm-hmm. and the promoter books a band for Chuck, right? Mm-hmm. Chuck's never met any of the guys in the band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he does this in every city, in every state, in every country he plays. You know, mm-hmm. everybody knows Chuck Berry songs. So um, Chuck, uh, he picks the promoter, who was a friend of my mom's, actually, and ran the entertainment Meadowlands. Mm-hmm. He had booked us on it because he'd seen the blues band, and he knew we were great. Mm-hmm. And so Chuck, he picks up Chuck in the airport. Chuck says, uh, who's my band tonight? Mm-hmm. And um, the promoter says, oh, Chuck, you're going to love it. Fantastic band. Mm-hmm. Conti Brothers, you know, John plays bass. Steve plays guitar. He goes, wait, guitar? <laughs> I don't use no other guitar <laughs> player. And, uh, and the promoter goes, oh, no, Chuck, Chuck, he's, yeah, Steve's fine. He's great, man. You know, he can lay back. Mm-hmm. Chuck says to him, well... I'm going to give him one song, and if he ain't happening, I'm going to throw him off the stage. <laughs> so, the promoter tells me this right before we go on. Um, thanks very much. And Chuck comes backstage, you know, before the show to like, have a little pep talk with us. And he says, uh, all right, now, uh, here's what we're going to do. You know, uh, drummer, watch my foot, you know, for endings and, uh, and cutoffs. He says, bass player, if you see me move my neck of my guitar... That means that's what I want you to play. And he says, and listen to the lyrics. If it weren't for the lyrics, we'd be playing the same song all night. <laughs> so, so, uh, so then we, uh, we get out there on stage, and um, I'm laying way back. Cause I'm like, I'm not getting thrown off stage with Chuck Berry. I can't. You know, the first 
<laughs> the first song I ever learned how to play lead guitar on was Johnny B. Good. As soon as I figured that out, I'd like, I said, screw these music books. You know, I had teachers that were trying to teach me to read music, and uh -huh. I couldn't read music. You know, but as soon as I learned that, that solo and taught myself that, I, I was like off to the races. You know, cool. I, it opened up the whole guitar to me. And the first solo I ever learned was Johnny B. Good. So here I am on stage with Chuck. We're playing a bunch of songs. He still hasn't thrown me off the stage yet. It's about five songs in. And then he does a slow blues. He does the old uh, song, It Hurts Me Too. You know that? When things go wrong, go wrong with you, it hurts me yeah. too. Yeah. So Chuck does that. And in, in the middle of the song, he points to me. You know, so, take a solo. I'm like, ooh. Not only did Chuck not throw me off the stage, he gave me a solo. So I play my solo, and then Chuck said, on the mic to the audience, is the man all right? Can the man play? Yeah, the man can play. Take another one. Give me another solo. I'm like, man, great. And, uh, and by the way, I have this whole thing on film. Wow, uh, cool. Somebody filmed it and, and, and sent me the, the video of VHS. Oh, that's so great. And, uh, and then, you know, we do a bunch more Chuck songs. We do Old Carol. We do... You know, too much monkey business. We do really um, uh, rocket, and then he does another slow blues. I don't remember which song it was, but does the same thing. Sings two verses and then says, "You know, take a solo to me." Does the same thing to the audience. Uh -huh. A man can play. Take another one. <laughs> I'm like, man, this is you know, half an hour ago I was worried I was going to get thrown off the stage. Right. Now the guy's giving me like four solos already. Wow. And um, the next song that we do is Johnny Be Good. Uh huh. And you know he goes to start the entry. He goes ba da ba da 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 crack. His his top E string pops right mm. off. And I'm like, man, he needs that <laughs> that string to play that riff, you know, like because when the middle solo comes in, you really need that. Otherwise, you know, you just have one string and it, it doesn't sound right. So I'm thinking, oh shit, what's Chuck gonna do when he gets to the middle? And sure enough, and Johnny be good, and he points to me. Boom! There's the first solo I ever learned in my life. I'm playing it on stage what? with Chuck Berry. Wow! I thought I was going to get thrown off the stage. That is and, so <laughs> great. Yeah. That is. Yeah, and uh, you know, you could see it on the film. It looks like my face is going to crock, <laughs> smiling so so wide. You know. Looking, my head's gonna fall off. That is and, so uh, cool. Yeah, and it was just amazing. And you know, we we did the whole set with him, and then and then we see Chuck sort of like smiling and laughing, you know, to the side of the stage, and he's saying something to us. And we're like, it's towards the end of the night, you know, he's got the kids up on the stage dancing. You know, he always uh -huh. calls kids up, uh -huh. a bunch of people up there, and Chuck's saying something to us. And we're thinking, you know, Chuck, he probably loves what you know. The way we're playing, playing the stuff the way the original records were. You uh -huh. know, we really, you know, we live this stuff. Right. And turns out what Chuck is really saying to us is, five more minutes, five more <laughs> minutes, and we're out of here. <laughs> and he had this, like, you know, this big haired, big boob blonde girl off the side of the stage, you know. And uh, the minute he was done, he's, packed his guitar in his case and waved goodbye. The band that we're still playing, Chuck grabs his guitar in one hand, the blonde on his other arm, and they go off to the parking lot to his Cadillac and drive off. And that was it. I love it. I love it. That's great. Did, did, did anything, so you've played with so many of your 
of your childhood heroes. And, and do you have any other good stories for us? I know I'm putting you um, on the spot without without warning, no, no, but that no, that was still, a really good um, one. I, you know, I, I mean, it was after after the crown jewels thing. Uh, we we worked that for I don't know probably four years or something. Mm-hmm. Played you know down in uh, Atlanta. We played in L.A. We played you know we did a lot of touring. Mm-hmm. Midwest, Minnesota, Cleveland, Ohio, and um, it was just really you know, taxing. I was doing everything myself. I was booking, I was promoting, I was right. radio, everything. And I was like, man, I just I can't do this anymore. And, and Billy Squire had called me to do a tour. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. This is going to be, I'm just going to play my guitar, make some money, you know, kind of regroup. Mm-hmm. And um, once I started doing that, you know, the calls just started coming in. I was working with Billy one day and the next, you know, after that tour was over, um, I got a call from Paul Simon. So tell us about I, that, because uh, from what I read on your thing, you were his vocal stand-in. Yeah, I was like his, his stunt vocalist for rehearsals, <laughs> which means like whenever Paul would have a rehearsal mm-hmm. with his, you know, huge, you know, right. piece band with mm-hmm. the, the African guys and all well, the percussion it, what, and the what, horns. What, I was going to say, and, what what you know, period would, of his music was this? This was, uh, he had an album called You're the One that came out in 2000. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I don't know what songs were on the radio, but, uh-huh. I mean, there were some great songs on the album. But, uh, so, and, and basically, did, you know, when Paul rehearses the band and doesn't want to Steve? sing, Wait, you know, did, he wants to yeah. kind of hear what the band is playing and okay. without him singing. Mm-hmm. You know, he would say, okay, let's do, uh, you know, whatever, Bridge Over Trouble Water, you take it, Steve. And how did he come you know, to find you? Uh, the guitar player, Mark Stewart, was a friend of mine who um, played cello on one of our Crown Jewels albums. Uh-huh. And, you know, he knew my voice, and he actually thought I'd be good for this for this gig for Paul. And uh, sure enough, you know, I went, and I ended up being Paul's guy for like, I don't know, 10 years. I mean, the last time wow. I worked with him was probably... 2010 or something like that. Wow. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, 2000, yeah, it was 10 years. Um, and basically, you know, I would have the whole Paul Simon songbook in front of me mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, have to know all the melodies and the, and the lyrics and the phrasing. Mm-hmm. Some of it's really, really wacky because mm-hmm. going by these African rhythms and Brazilian rhythms and mm-hmm. it's, it's not, you know, just simple three-chord folky stuff like he was in the beginning. Right. Which even they, even that stuff is more complicated than it really sounds, you know, like Homeward Bound and all those songs, mm-hmm. Simon and Garfunkel. And they actually ended up doing Simon and Garfunkel as well when they did the reunion tour in 2003. And uh, when when Paul wouldn't be at rehearsal, I'd sing with Art. And so it would be wow. you know, Conti and Garfunkel. Wow. And then when they, Art so wasn't there, cool. and then it would be Simon and Conti. That's we do so Scarborough cool. Fair or, or Mrs. Robinson, whatever, wow. you know. I can't even imagine like what that was like. Yeah, I can't imagine what that was like for you to be up there doing that. That's ama- Do you have footage yeah. of that stuff? Do you have Do you have audio, footage, anything? I uh, don't have any footage, but I have, like, there was always a sound man recording, and I think they gave me some board tapes. Wow. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I never sang in public with Simon and Garfunkel. It was always, you know, at the rehearsals. But then, 
after you know working with Paul for like eight years like that, just sort of behind the scenes, mm-hmm. helping him rehearse the band and stuff. Um, Paul actually asked me to be in his show. He did the remember the Cape Man. Yeah, sure. His failed his failed Broadway show. Yes, but uh, the, music, the music was really good. Uh-huh. I think what really happened in his show was kind of it wasn't a feel good, mm. you know, uh, topic. Mm-hmm. You know, it was about a a kid who uh, got arrested for murder in mm-hmm. the late fifties in Brooklyn or whatever. So I don't think the story resonated with people, right. Broadway theater goers. Yeah. But the music was really good. Mm-hmm. So then he did. He just took the songs from that and he did it show out of Brooklyn Academy of Music mm-hmm. for six nights at BAM called uh, Songs from the Cape Man. Mm-hmm. And he had an incredible band, uh, the Spanish Harlem Orchestra, real traditional, you know, Latin American, you know, also almost Cuban. I'm not sure what the exact, you know, uh, style was, but just a killer band. And um, I sang two songs and played guitar in, in the show. That's so cool. So, um, so that was nice. And then, you know, I worked with him a few more times for his album Surprise. And I think, I can't remember all his album names, but, you know, it was a a great uh, working relationship. People warned me about him. They said, oh, Paul, he's, you know, he's such a hard, hard guy to work for. You know, he'll like suck the energy out of you. And, you know, he was nothing but, cool to me, you know. That's really good to hear. You know, paid me nice compliments, and, you know. Just the fact fine. that you were with him for 10 years is a testament to the mm. fact that he couldn't have been too tough to work with, because I can't imagine you would have put up with it if he were. No, I mean, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have put up with me either, yeah. you know. I mean, <laughs> there was a couple times that, you know, I didn't get something right to his liking. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was close enough, mm-hmm. but he zeroed right in on what was wrong. He's like, no, 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 it's not that. I mean, right down to, uh, you know, there's one song where I had to do a little laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, ha, 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 ha. And he's like, no, it's not ha, 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 ha. It's ha, 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 ha. I'm like, really? <laughs> <I don't... laughs> but, you know, he had, nope, it's got to be exact. That's what I did on the record. I'm like, okay. Do you think, so, do you uh, think he made you, do you think he contributed to your becoming a better singer because you were working at his stand... Do you think it affected you in that way? Um, oh, it definitely affected me. Um, I mean, not I mean, not to take anything away from you. I, I You've been learned... my favorite singer since no, the no, 80s, no. but I'm just... For no, your own skill I mean, set. No, I, don't, I don't think, like, you know, his... Um, let's see, how do I say it? I mean, I you mean, must have learned I, some tricks from a, him. I'm much more of a rough, like, rock right. and roll singer. Yes. But the fact that I could, like calm my voice down mm-hmm. to be really pure and sing, you know, Homeward Bound or mm-hmm. or some of these, you know, beautiful songs of his um, just just made me realize, you know, how much variation I had in my voice. Right. And, you know, I mean, while I was doing it, I was, I was developing other parts of my voice, I guess. And really, I, I was just soaking up all the knowledge that I was getting from hanging out with these African guys that were... Mm-hmm you know, in his band and, like, learning about the rhythms and, you know, I I just got so into music. It was just an incredible time of, like, learning music. I hadn't learned that much about music since I'd been studying it in school, and it was, you know, been years ago. So it was like an education. It was like getting paid to have, uh, to hang out with one of your childhood heroes Mm -hmm. and and get an education at the same time. And so you did that a lot. You did that, you, you know, you, 
so t- tell us about some of the other people you've played with that have uh, yeah. our dreams come true for you. Yeah, that that was on and off, and then um, and then uh, in 2003, I got a call from my friend uh, Dave Keys, who was playing bass with Willie Deville. Mm-hmm. He had called me a few other times, knowing that I was a huge Willie fan, mm-hmm. and I couldn't do the gigs. But uh, this time, I was free that summer, and uh, we went to Europe. And, um, you know, he said, uh, you know, this gig requires that you play mandolin and dobro, slide, wow. Tex-Mex, um, like nylon string. And, mm-hmm. and I said, well, well, I, you know, I don't really do all that. He's like, oh, man, you can do it. It's easy. You know, I said, really? I said, I've never done that on a gig. You know, I fool around with it. He's like, eh, you'll get it. You know, so I locked myself in a rehearsal room for a month. Wow! And by the time I came out of there, I was playing mandolin. I was playing slide, open tuning stuff, and wow. and I did this tour with Willie, and it was you know another dream come true because I love that guy's mm-hmm. you know whole style and you know his voice and his songs and his, mm-hmm. so and I met my wife on his tour. So oh sweet, sweet. And and how did uh, the, how did the New York Dolls happen? Yeah, so actually, so that happened the next year. So. Uh-huh. That was, uh, you know, I, I call that, it's just a part of the, you hang around this crazy town long enough, mm-hmm. something's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, and if you're good, and people know about you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'd been at that point in 2004, you know, I'd been in New York almost 20 years, and I met with, and met and played with, in studios and on stages, you know, some of the best musicians in New York. Right. And... You know, Jimmy Vivino, mm-hmm. who was in the, on the Conan show, he was mm-hmm. the best leader there, and, and guys like this, all of who had been, you know, playing with David Johansson and all his various, you know, Buster Poindexter right. and the, the Harry Smiths. He had this band, and and uh, David had gotten an offer from uh, Morrissey to headline the Royal Festival Hall in London for um, a concert series called Meltdown. They would do uh, a different artist would curate the festival every year, and this year was you know Bowie did it one year, um, Addy Smith did it one year. This was Morrissey's year, and he wanted the New York Dolls to reform. Mm-hmm. People had been asking David for years to put the band back together, and he always said no. For some reason, 2004, he said yes, mm-hmm. and luckily Sylvain Sylvain was there and ready ready and willing mm-hmm. and so was Arthur Killer Kane uh, who passed away shortly after the first gig but you know he I guess he started asking around who should I call for this gig and he asked like three different guitar players well known mm-hmm. great musicians in New York Vivino was one of them and mm-hmm. everybody said to him don't call anybody else just call Conti so he's cool. a guy mm-hmm. he plays great he looks right. He's got the right, you know, equipment and style and feel and look and you know, he's the guy. Well, David Joe called me up, invited me out to lunch. We sat down, we talked, and at the end of the, you know, lunch, he just pulled out this like package. I said, "So, uh, I took uh, the liberty of making you uh, some CDs here. You want to do this gig or what?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And we we walked out into the street, and we immediately like ran into, you know, a bunch of musicians. And we're like, Steve and David Johansson, what's going on with you two guys? What are you doing together? 
and, uh, and then the, you know, the word slipped out there. And then, you know, next thing I know, I'm rehearsing with, you know, Sylvain Sylvain, Arthur Killacane, David Hansen, we're running through, you know, the personality crisis mm-hmm. and trash and all the classics from, uh, you know, the debut album and the, the second album too. And they hadn't played together in 30, yeah, was it 30 years or oh, maybe that's more? crazy. And, uh, yeah, so I took over for, uh, Johnny Thunders, who had passed away in 91. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we did the show at Rock Festival Hall and then, um, we did a second show that sold out. The first show sold out so fast that they added a second show. Mm-hmm. We did the second show, and they, luckily they filmed it, and then that was Arthur's last gig ever mm-hmm. on this planet, and then he died, mm-hmm. which, you know, was there's a movie about it called New York Doll, mm-hmm. which is the story of his life. He had been like living in obscurity. He was a Mormon. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, like, you know, had to get his bass back out of the pawn shop, oh you know, to go do this gig, and... Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like heartbreaking story. And then, you know, he finally gets his band back together that he's wanted his whole life, and then he dies oh. after two games. Oh. But uh, when then we continued. We got a new bass player, and we continued on for six years. We made uh, a comeback record, which was really good for, you know, as far as comeback records go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just my opinion. I mean, everybody who heard it, mm-hmm. critics gave it great... Uh, response and uh we so we did two studio albums two live albums toured pretty much everywhere i've ever wanted to go <laughs> very cool like india we didn't tour india we we you know china japan australia fabulous you know places i never thought i'd go croatia mm-hmm. you know greece and um you know all over europe you know all the scandinavian countries and all of europe and england and ireland scotland south america so do you have a David yeah, Johansson was, story uh, for us? It was a great run. You have a David Excuse Johansson. Me? You have a David Johansson story for us. Oh, I got too many. <laughs> um, nothing's coming to mind. All right, that's okay. Uh, we, right now, but that's if, right. If, if if something does, I'll. I'll okay, so my, so 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 we're, we're we're getting to the end here, but I I want to. So how did you? So how did that become? Michael, how did you then segue to Michael Monroe? To uh. To what you've been uh, yeah, doing so for a lot of years. Actually, so the bass player that we got after mm-hmm. Arthur died, um, first my brother ended up doing a couple gigs with us mm-hmm. uh, before we had a permanent member. And then we auditioned a bunch of guys, and Sammy Yaffa, who was the bass mm-hmm. player in Hanoi Rocks, mm-hmm. um, came into the band. And um, we, uh, we did all those albums together and all that touring. And uh, around 2009, 10, the touring started to slow down, and um, we were like standing on, uh, you know, we really need to work. What's going on? And um, didn't seem to be the situation. Didn't seem to be getting better. Mm-hmm. So Sammy went back to play with his you know, childhood friend Michael Monroe, mm-hmm. who was starting up his uh, solo career mm-hmm. again after. Uh, and I Rocks uh, had done a, a reunion. Mm-hmm. They broke up in 85 when Vince Neil killed the, the drummer. Mm-hmm. Remember when Vince Neil had that car accident mm-hmm. from Motley Crue? Mm-hmm. He killed a, this drummer named Basil, who was Henry Rocks' drummer. So, you know, they were like on the brink of making it in America, and then, oh, yeah. the drummer died, and that was it. Yeah. And so they hadn't played 
since 85, they hadn't played together, Michael and Sammy. So they got back together. They were getting along really well, and then Sammy called me in, and uh, I kind of jumped from one on to, over to the other, and now it's been six years with Michael. And four records, I think we've done one live album, three studio records so far. It's 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 amazing. It's fabulous. What I what I love about your career, Steve, is that it's you've never lost. You've just moved from one thing to the next. You've managed to to do what you love your entire life, make your living at it, have play stadiums. And I mean, with you, you guys open for like Guns and Roses and and Motorhead and stuff, right? You're playing like huge venues, I assume. Yeah, Slash. Yeah, Guns and Roses, Motorhead, Alice yeah. Cooper. It's it's yeah. it's it's, it's fabulous. I mean, you've gotten to you have lived your your rock star dream, but what to me is the most exciting thing of all is what's happening to you right now, because for me to hear them say your name on the radio, it's not it's not the band name, it's not Company Wolves, it's not Michael Monroe, it's not the guitarist for this. Mm-hmm. They're saying Steve Conti. And they're putting up a song that is one of the best rock and roll songs I've ever heard in my life. And the entire album um, is just extraordinary. And, and which album are you referring to? Uh, under it's called under it's called under wait it's called undercover. Whoa, no, it's called no, international, no, no. international cover up. International, international cover up. I got it. International cover up. <laughs> I'm sorry. International cover up. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. All, uh, it's and some of my favorite cover. Some of my favorite cover songs. So tell us some of the yeah. some of the other songs that are on there. It's such a great album. Um, well, the the whole idea of this was. I had a weekend in the studio with my band. Mm-hmm. When I play Europe, I have, like Chuck Berry, you know, I have a, a band in New York and I have a band in Europe. Right. And my European band, um, you know, we had been out, you know, touring and playing my you know, songs from my record. I had a record, Steve Conti and the Crazy Truth, mm-hmm. you know, in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released through Universal. And uh, we were touring all over Europe. And... I met a guy in a studio in, in Holland, and he said, um, why don't you go in the studio? It's free this weekend. Come and record some songs. I said, we don't have any... Uh, the band doesn't know any of my new songs yet. I said, mm-hmm. oh, we could come and play some of the covers that we've been playing, and we sort of do our own versions of a couple of you know, really cool rock and roll songs. And we're like, yeah, come on over. So we went and we bashed out six songs in the weekend, and uh, that became the basis for the album. I added a couple of acoustic songs, mm-hmm. Later when I got home, and um, that's the album. Um, there's a song by, uh, well, there's that Fleetwood Mac song. Um, then I do Working Class Hero by John Lennon. Which you, and you do an amazing version. By the way, your versions of everything are completely your own and completely amazing. But go ahead. Oh, thanks. Uh, I do uh, a version of Happy by the Stones. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith, really. I love the way Keith sings. Um, I do um, my own crazy version of Summertime Blues, Eddie Cochran. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a Tom Waits song called I Don't Want to Grow Up that the Ramones covered, and it's somewhere between the Ramones version and my own thing. Uh, also a song called White Lies by Jason and the Scorchers originally, which is pretty much a direct yeah. reading of that one. Um, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting something, but Play With Fire. Another Stone song that I did solo acoustic on Steve Lillywhite's radio program on East Village Radio. Mm-hmm. They were nice enough to let me use that recording. So that's on the record. Very cool. Um, 
What else? I think that might it, be it's it. It's a pretty fabulous. It, it, it's just a fabulous straight up rock and roll record. Oh, oh, Go ahead. yeah. Oh, Mink Deville. I do a Mink Deville song. Willie Deville, um, Venus of Avenue D. The opening, first track one, album one, Mink Deville song from 1977. Very cool. Very, Very cool. New York. Well, I'm yeah, gonna put so. up. I'm gonna put up on the. Uh, on the on my page, all the links so people can can get to international cover up and hear these for themselves. And we'll play another tune uh, before we go out um, after we finish chatting. Um, but available so, everywhere, by the way, you know, um, CD Baby, Amazon, iTunes, all your favorite online retailers. There you go, international you know, cover up. It's name. called by Steve Conti, and right. um, and I I really do believe I I I. I think you've only seen the tip of the success you're going to have from this. I, I, I think it's going to be huge. And I love the fact that Little Steven's Underground Garage is so behind you. And they, pl- uh, there's not a day that I get in my car that I don't hear. There's not a day that goes by that they're not playing you. They're playing you every day, all the time. Um, especially Handsome Dick. That's he plays awesome. you constantly. It's fabulous. And he always says a, a, has a nice little anecdote about you and your friendship with him, which is so cool. I always get a kick out of that. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and, I, and love I love the fact Michael DeVar, too. You know, he's another great guy on there. Michael did uh, did my living room, actually, a few years ago. Michael's a kick. Yeah, uh, yeah he does. He does play you, and that's fabulous. But I know he has a song that's up for Coolest Song of the Year, too, and he's campaigning for his song, so I don't know how much he's help he's going to be to you. To, well, to... well, the funny thing is, I just found out that I have another song. I have two Coolest Songs of the Year, the song I wrote for it was the first single from the Michael Monroe record, uh, the new one, Blackout States. Cool. Called Old King's Road. Excellent. Yeah, it is uh, a song. I co-wrote the music with um, Sammy, the bass player, and, and Rich Jones, the other guitar player in Michael's band. Very and I wrote cool. the story and the lyrics and a lot of the melodies, or maybe all the melodies. Very and, cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm up for two, two cool songs of the year. So I love it. I, have I love to, it. Uh, I have to some point promote both of them that'll be tricky yeah yeah i know what you mean well i i, I don't know someone's gonna get their kid kicked in tonight i it's gonna be very hard for how, how can you promote something above i mean that's just it's just a killer rock and roll so i mean it's i i'm sure this other song is fabulous so i'm gonna go listen to it but this well is that just, one's you know the difference is that the cover well that's true in is, that's is the true. cover and Gold king's road is my own song that's but, a good you know, point that's a good whatever point. that's um, a good point it's it's all great. It's nice to have. It's a nice problem to have. It's a, a very, luxury problem. It's a luxury problem. It's a white boy problem. So okay, Steve. So we're winding down here. I have a last question for you. Um, it's something that I ask everybody on the show, all my heroes, people that ha- have managed as you have to live your dream and are continuing to live your dream, which is um, so happy for you. Um, also have a wife and, and two kids, which is. A rocker who actually has a stable home life, and a, that's just fabulous also. Okay, so do you have a guilty pleasure, Steve? Is there anything in your world that um, you do that you hope nobody's watching when you do it? Lots of them, but um, now I'd say probably, and, and you know, I mean, if it was embarrassing, I wouldn't really talk about it. Yeah. But. <laughs> It's not that embarrassing. Okay. Um, although, you know, it depends what company you're with, mm-hmm. I guess. But I don't give a shit. Can I say shit every you day? You can show? say shit. Yes, you can. Um, so I love, like, the bubblegum pop music of my childhood. You know? Do you really? Um, you know, people think, 
Oh uh, yeah, Kanye. You know, he's like a he's like a rocker. You know, he plays like you know, dirty, you know, tough bluesy rock and roll. I love the Archies. <laughs> I love the Monkees. Yes. I love the Raspberries. <laughs> I love you know the Archies. Really, the Monkees. I get. I love the Monkees too. But the Archies, really. I love Sugar Sugar. <laughs> Genius tune. You know, um, the Raspberries. You know, I want to be with you. <laughs> I like that um, song too. Go all the way. I mean, uh, you know, all that stuff. The sweet little Willie. You know, um, all those kind of like bubblegum pop tunes. Do you and listen to it? Time Life. Remember when those Time Life, uh, you know, CDs used to come on late night TV? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I buy those immediately. You know, like <laughs> really, don't be a hero, don't be a fool with your life. And uh, I hated the night that Chicago song. died. You know, those one hit wonders. <laughs> yeah. Love that shit. Do you listen to I mean, that stuff? You know, oh, 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 it's magic. <laughs> I you like know, that one. <laughs> never believe it's not so. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, actually. Well, that's very cool. Well, Steve, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited for you. I'm, now that I know I can vote every day, I'm going in. I'm, I'm going to vote every day. And um, I, I just have no doubt that great things are ahead for you. And I'm, I'm so happy to see you walking into your own light and being known to be Steve Conti. And that's, that's a great thing. Thanks for joining us. Um, and uh, I, I can't wait to see you live next time I'm in New York. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Vic. My pleasure. I'm uh, looking forward to it, too. Hopefully I'll play in, in L.A., too. Yes. Oh, great. Let us know. We'll all come down. Excellent. Will do. Okay, Steve, take care. All right, thanks, everybody. So, DJ Wheezy, my friend Steve Conti. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> um, I, I have to say I was a little surprised by, by, by the guilty pleasure. I wasn't, re- I wasn't <laughs> expecting that from him. Um, I love the Archies. Do you really? Ron Dante. Uh, well, okay. I, uh, some of the songs he was mentioning I do like, mm-hmm. but some of them I was like, Billy, don't be a hero. I just oh, shoot me before that so- when that <laughs> song comes. Oh, I hate that song. Sorry. Don't be a fool uh, with your life. <laughs> There's good wisdom. <laughs> okay, so for me, with Steve, I think, the takeaway, I, I, I actually took a note while he was talking because I was like, that's it. I think with Steve, it was about, it's about who you know. Yeah. It's about taking your connections and making like it's like everything that happened to him all these years is a result of first of all having good work habits, being the best, right? So he hid himself in that room for a month and taught himself the mandolin because he wasn't going to lose the gig. Mm-hmm. So it's like doing whatever it takes, being the best at it, you know, being serious about going to college and getting that education and and learning that stuff. And then also having great relationships with everybody, always being his best, always being on his game. I think so th- he's an easy hang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, because if you can hang with Paul Simon and everyone else says Paul Simon's a perfectionist. like he, For that, years. Yeah. That right. guy, Steve Conti, he can hang because mm-hmm. he's just, people like him and he's he gets his work done. I actually have to show you. I, I don't think I showed you guys what he looks like. He looks exactly the same, exactly the same, same haircut like me. Has not well. I mean, he he looks exactly what he looked like in the eighties. He has yeah. the same hair. He's wearing the same bling. He's got the same mm-hmm. clothes. He is a rock star. He was a rock star then. He's a rock star now. Nobody's gonna think this guy <laughs> is older than thirty. I mean, he just he's just a rock star. Um, yeah. So. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, do you have anything? Uh, did, did I thought anything the same thing about like just having his network of like industry friends that just like knew he was good. Like not only was he cool and can hang, but like he can hang on a professional level and a, you know, a, yeah. a, a cool guy level. And he makes himself indispensable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, for Chuck Berry to turn, who kicks, who's going to kick him amazing. off the stage. <laughs> that, that was my favorite. Chuck Berry to be throwing him for solos. I mean, that just tells you everything you need to know right there. Yeah. Yep. Um, he can play with the best of them. Well, um, well, thank you guys for for another great show, uh, DJ Marcuson. Who, uh, you guys out there, if you need anything done with your website, if you if you need any computer stuff done, if you need a a logo, you need a business card, you need a any of that stuff, you got you got to go to DJ and and I'll I'll connect you to him. And Wheezy, who I adore, has a fantastic um, podcast of her own, Journals Out Loud, where she 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 deals with all issues to do with for preteens and teenagers and it's it's fun and it's it's edgy and it's enter and it's in t- and it's informative and it it helps kids feel good about themselves and she's great at it and um anyway i'm i'm, I'm so happy to be doing this with you um and for everybody out there um look for a new show every tuesday and you can find me the easiest way to find me in everything that i'm doing is go to vickyabelson.com and it's v huh how did you come up with that i i don't know you know it was like a brainstorm i had one night and it's but the spelling is the hard part because nobody gets that shit right all right do this slowly v-i-c-k-i-a-b-e-l-s-o-n.com and from that you can find my facebook which is vicky abelson my twitter which is vicky abelson my instagram which is vicky abelson my linkedin which is vicky abelson my google plus which is vicky you can find the keys to the kingdom and on itunes it's the road taken vicky abelson's broadcast the road taken also on soundcloud and soon a very exciting announcement to be made. And um, so so come back. New show every Tuesday. Archived on the on the iTunes and on the SoundCloud. Thank you both for another great show. If you like this show, give it a nice review. Oh, and that would be so nice. Thank you, Wheezy. Yes, please. We could use some good reviews on, on iTunes and SoundCloud because we're new. And that'll get it out to a lot more people because this is really cool, I think, isn't it? I mm-hmm. think it's pretty damn cool. Very cool. So anyway, I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us on The Road Take. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys next Tuesday, every Tuesday. But in between those Tuesdays, you can find me at VickiAbelson.com. V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. 